Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, uh, grab a Bible, turn to Malachi chapter 2, and if you need a Bible, there's one somewhere under a seat nearby you. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, leave with that. We'd love for you to have that as a Bible of your own. Malachi chapter 2. Any time there is a low view of God uh, with amongst a people or a group of people, any time there's a low view of God, what you will always find with that is a low view of marriage. Or anytime you see a low view of marriage, sniff around enough, and what you'll find ultimately there is a low view of, of God. Uh, the book of Malachi, uh, we're uh, halfway through this series, and um, God's people are back in the promised land. Jerusalem is being rebuilt after a period in Israel's history of Babylonian captivity. It's somewhere roughly a century after the rebuilding had begun. And uh, so you have walls of the city back up. You have a temple resurrected. You have homes that have been restored. People are living in Jerusalem again. Um, God sends Malachi, his messenger, to his people in this season because though Jerusalem had been rebuilt, and though the people had come back, uh, the people's heart, God's people's hearts, were still wayward. It was like their hearts were still in exile. And over and over again, as the book of Malachi began, as we've seen over the last couple weeks, God has been calling to his people, and he's been hearkening to his people, and he's been saying, will you just come back? Will you come back and give me the honor and the glory and the worship that I am due? And so what we have here is um, in God's covenant community, amongst his people, we have a low view of God, and it's been seen in the sacrifices they've bringing him that kind of uh, communicate the lack of just worth they see of him. Uh, we've seen it right in their religious leaders who he went after last week to just say, like, where's my honor? Even amongst you priests, where's my honor? And anytime you have that low of a view of God amongst a group of people, and especially amongst God's people, inevitably what happens is that seeps into every area of our life. And so as the book of Malachi continues, God's going to go after some specific areas amongst his covenant people um, where they are not living like God's people. And as we look at uh, Malachi chapter 2 and beginning in verse 10 today, God is going to go after them uh, for their low view of marriage. God's people are not living within the marriage covenant the way God had called his people to live. And God is seeking to do something today. God is seeking to elevate the view of marriage amongst his people. And in order to do that, he has to go after some specific instances in which God's glory um, is being attacked by how his people are not living in accord with what God says as it pertains to marriage. And um, here's my hope for today. Well, before I get there, let me say this. If in this day there was a low view of marriage amongst God's people. I think we can all agree that in our day, we live in a culture that has a low view of marriage. A culture in which um, um, divorces look to right away as soon as there's the first signs of what's called irreconcilable differences, which is not in God's vocabulary. Uh, where where marriage is something that you know works as long as when we said our vows, what we really meant is for better or for better. 
But as soon as it gets for worse, people bolt. And if this, what God spoke thousands of years ago to his covenant community about marriage had application then, I think we'll all find that it is great application for us as God's people sitting in the church today. God has some really, really important things to say to us today about marriage. And now let me get here. Here's my hope. My hope is that what we study today might be an amazing turning point in some marriages that are sitting in the room here today. My hope is that we could point to this Sunday of March 3rd, 2019, and we could go, that is the day our marriage began to take a turn for the better. And now I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naive enough to think that what's going to happen is you came to church we fixed it in a 40-minute sermon, and you walk out, and everything's better. I think any time change is going to take place, there needs to be an event, and then there needs to be a process. I hope today is the event. I hope today is the event that sparks the process, that if your marriage needs healing and repair and hope, I pray today we find that. Because here's the deal. Um, marriage is supposed to be so much better than it's okay, it's good, this works. God has made the marriage relationship to be the greatest relationship we'll ever experience apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And my hope is today that if you walked into church and you find your marriage hanging by this thin and fraying thread, that today in the power of Jesus' name, restoration happens. And so, if you will, just bear with me, because I want to speak to every heart in the room before we get into the word here today. And I want every heart in here to know that this message is for you. And I want to start by addressing you if you're in the room and you're not married. And the first thing you think of when you hear that this is a message on marriage, you're like, no, not a message on marriage. Because you've been desiring to be married for maybe five, seven, seven years, a decade and God has just not brought that about. And it feels like every time marriage is brought up in church, it's just kind of this like sting and a wound that you just want God to bring you to that season. Um, my hope for you is you'll know that today is a message for you. Point one in the message has deep application for where you are right now. Point two in the message has deep application should God bring you to that season out in the future. I want to speak to you, though, if you're not married and you don't ever expect to be. Because God has called some to a life of singleness. And I think in the church, we are so good at just, I'm speaking the church, capital C Church. We are so good at addressing marriages as we should be and preaching about marriages. But we can lose sight of the fact that God has called some to a life of singleness. And actually, the Apostle Paul celebrates that and says that if you're single, you, it's awesome. He says you're able to devote all of your energies to the pursuit of Christ and the things Christ calls you to. And so you might be here and you're single and you don't ever expect to be married, you think God's called you to a life of singleness, this message is for you because as you live within the faith community, God's going to call you to go shoulder to shoulder with some people, some brothers and sisters in the faith who, who are in marriage. And you walk with them to encourage them of what a God-honoring marriage and what following Christ looks like. I want to speak to you if you're in the room and the topic of a marriage message brings up uh, all kinds of deep sadness and mourning because you're no longer married due to the death of a spouse. And uh, already, even as we're a couple minutes into the sermon, your mind is already going to memories and to 
the, the joys that it was, the morning that you still have. I pray that you would know today, today's message is for you in the preparation of your heart for another marriage that God may have or in the preparation of your heart to come alongside and share the, share the joy and experiences of the marriage God gave you with those who are still traveling in marriage here among us. I want to speak to you if you're married and if you're here and your marriage is just, it, it's on the rocks and you've even begun to throw around the divorce word and it just seems like there is no hope to climb out of the hole that you're in. I want you to hear very simply, there is hope to climb out of the hole you're in. And that there's nothing greater that you can fight for starting today than the preservation of a joyful, God-glorifying, all about the glory of Jesus' marriage in your life. I want to pray, or I want to, I want to speak to us if, as I said earlier, we've just relegated marriage to something that we, it is, it is what it is. You think it's just okay or worse than okay, but you're like, hey, we're stuck here. We're never going to get divorced, so this is just the way it's going to be. Folks, it's so much better than that. And God's going to call us to that here today. And then I want to speak to you if you've been divorced, because this passage uh, at the end of it is going to say some very pointed things uh, of God, what God thinks about divorce. Um, God hates divorce, and he's going to tell us why he hates divorce. And um, inevitably, as we get to that part of the sermon, if you've been divorced, the, the natural tendency is kind of for you to start squirming in your seat a bit and to feel the uncomfortableness of that. But I want to say to you right up front uh, that God does hate divorce, and we're going to talk about why he hates divorce, but he doesn't hate people who've been divorced, okay? And when the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it means there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and he's called you to a life after divorce. And I recognize the deep complexities that go with divorce, that some of you are sitting in here and you find yourself divorced because of the unfaithfulness of a spouse who just totally abandoned the marriage covenant and commitment. And I get the complexities of that. And so I want us, as we come to that section, to understand God's deep hatred for divorce and why he hates divorce because of the high calling he's given to marriage. But I want us to sit under that conviction. I want us to repent where we need to repent if there's sin that's led to a divorce. And then I want us to experience the rest that comes from the grace of Christ as we teach on a tough topic in that regard. Deal, church? This could be a huge day in the life of the marriages of our church. If we will let God accomplish through his word, by the power of his Holy Spirit, what he wants to accomplish in each and every heart in here. So let's pray that he'd do that. And let's let, then let's let his word speak. God, <clears throat> the quietness of this room, these two services, Lord, has been deafening. Oh, God, please let me say what your word says. And let me say it with the tone in which your word says it. Let me not deviate to the right or to the left and preach something that's not of sound doctrine. God, protect the words of my mouth. God, please open up hearts. Lord, there's going to be parts of this sermon where people will probably be squirming and they'll want to get up and walk out. Would you plant their feet firmly on the floor, Lord? God, there's going to be parts of this sermon where, Lord, the conviction is going to set in, God. And uh, please, uh, would we not escape the conviction? Conviction is a gift, God. 
Your loving kindness leads us to repentance, Lord. You love us. And so you'll convict us where needed. God, would you encourage our hearts through a sermon like this today, God? But most of all, would you elevate our view for this awesome thing you created called marriage, Lord? Lord, we live in a culture that wants to drag it down into this vortex of what it is not, Lord. Help us to know what your word says about what it is and what, Lord, you've called it to be and that it can be so much better than anything we've relegated it to that is not of you, God. Please elevate our view that we'd walk out worshiping over this awesome thing you've created of what marriage is. Do it, God, for your glory. Do it for the good of our hearts and do it for the good of our families. Strong marriages in your church, Lord, please. That's what we want to see today. God, please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, let me just pick, catch us up on where we've been. God is just coming off of his strong indictment to the spiritual leaders in the community, going, where's my honor? Like, where is my honor amongst you, even the priests of the community? And remember, we said, anytime we see God dishonored amongst the community, it's going to have a ripple effect out onto every area of life. Now God is going to go after where the, the state of marriage is amongst his covenant people. Malachi 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we, and what is the word right there? We'll come back to that. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And I just want to stop right there, and I want us to kind of set the stage for what God is about to reveal here. Uh, twice already, God has used this Hebrew word that's translated in our Bibles, faithless. Uh, five times in these seven verses, we are going to come across this word. And now we know the word faithless or unfaithful carries with it negative connotations in even our English language, but there's something I I think in the Hebrew word there that that English word faithless can't even really pull out adequately. But the Hebrew word translated faithless here, it really, it's getting at this. It means to deal treacherously with. And now we don't use the word treacherous often in our everyday language. So what does treacherous mean? Treacherous means to be guilty of or involving betrayal. And so reread this now with that definition of this Hebrew word that's used. Um, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we dealing treacherously with one another? Why are we profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been dealing treacherously, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. God is pulling something out of what's going on in the faith community with strong language with this faithless word. But he's, that's not the only word he uses here. When God brings up the word abomination, that word means, uh, that word means like uh, uh, detestable. It means the most serious defilement. It's the same word God would often use when indicting foreign, uh, foreign um, people for child sacrifice. And so God, as he's setting the stage here of what he's about to call his people out on, he is using like the strongest language he can be using. Why are you faithless? Why are you dealing treacherously? Why, this is an abomination in my sight. And so the logical question now is, 
What's going on amongst his people? That's an abomination in his sight. And he's about to tell us what's happening. Verse 11, Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And here it is. Here's what's going on. And has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. We have to understand what what Malachi means here when he says Judah has profaned the sanctuary and married the daughter of a foreign god. I think we have to go, okay, is God just speaking in, um, is he using a picture to communicate some sort of spiritual apostasy? Or is there something even more literal to that saying of what is going on? And then when I first began to study Malachi and in preparation for the series, I began, oh, God's probably just using some like, bigger picture that's communicating some sort of general spiritual apostasy. And then I began to get into it and study it more and go, maybe, no, maybe there's more there. And then, and then you begin to read people who are a lot smarter than I am with the Bible, and there's something more here. There's something very specific and literal that God is calling out amongst his people when he says, Judah is marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Here's what God's people are doing in this season. God's people, God's covenant people, are marrying outside of God's covenant people, and they're marrying worshipers of foreign gods. And this is something God, throughout all, you read all of the Old Testament, God has always commanded his people don't go marry worshipers of foreign gods. All through the Old Testament, you find all kinds of ites, the Hittites, the Edomites, the Parasites, all these kind of ites. And God is always warning his people, don't go marry the ites. Don't go marry anyone outside of the Israelites. Because why? Because they're worshipers of foreign deities. They're worshipers of idols. And here's what happens. As you, a worshiper of Yahweh, unite your life in one flesh with a worshiper of a foreign god, uh, it, it brings into your family and into the faith family this, this, this corruption, this depravity. And then your kids grow up in that house and there's the idol sitting on the counter there. And God's like, you don't go marry worshipers of foreign gods. This is what, this is the very thing that had brought God's judgment on his people throughout the centuries. And now you have the people, they're restored, they're back in Jerusalem, it's being rebuilt, and they're going and doing the very same thing that they'd done before. And God is saying, this is an abomination in my sight. You're dealing treacherously with not only yourself, with the whole faith community by venturing out and marrying worshipers of foreign gods. And I, I want us to write this down because this has deep application for us as well. God's design for marriage is this. For a man of God to only marry a woman of God. And a woman of God to only marry a man of God. Where am I pulling this out? God's calling out his people for venturing outside of the covenant community for marriage. 
This same principle applies to us who are in Christ today. The New Testament speaks to this principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when it says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And there's a principle here for life and uh, uh, most importantly for who we unite our life with in a one flesh relationship. God says for you, believer, you who are in Christ, do not unite your life in a marriage covenant, one flesh relationship with someone who is not a believer. How we said it in our notes, a man of God is to only marry a woman of God. A woman of God is to only marry a man of God. Now, in our day and age, it's really important to define what do we mean by man of God and woman of God. Because that can have a very broad definition in our age. What we believe the Bible would call us to as followers of Jesus Women, God has called you to only unite your life in a marriage relationship with someone who is also in Christ, in red-hot pursuit of the glory of Jesus Christ, has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Men, God has called you in Christ to only unite your life with someone, a woman who is in Christ, who's on red-hot pursuit of Jesus Christ, who's trusted Jesus Christ with their life. We a woman in Christ unites her life with a man in Christ. A man in Christ unites his life with a woman in Christ in marriage. So now let's have some fun because we need to clarify some things in this regard through just my few years in ministry. Three bad answers to the question. I know you like them, but do they know Jesus? Y'all ready to play? Three bad answers to the question. I know you like them. But do they know Jesus? Bad answer number one. Oh, they're really spiritual. <laughs> Anytime Erica and I are talking to, you know, a young person who's thinking about marriage, and tell me about, like, when did they trust Christ? What's their walk with Jesus? Oh, like, you guys got to meet him. They're so spiritual. What does that mean in our day and age? That can mean a lot of different things. And um, um, unmarrieds in here, unmarried young men, unmarried young women, unmarried men and women, um, it, do not settle for someone you're interested in dating or someone you're dating, speaking about their spirituality in generic spiritual terms. Get to the name Jesus Christ and get to what they've done with the name Jesus Christ and whether they've trusted the name Jesus Christ, and whether they're on an all-out sprint for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. Do not fall into the generic spirituality, because who knows what that might mean. Bad answer number two. They grew up in a really religious family. Hey, tell me about her walk with Jesus. Oh, dude, I was at her house. You should see how worn out her dad's Bible was. Tells me nothing about her walk with Jesus. A, a couple of things on this. We need to qualify what does religious family even mean? 
Does that mean a family of, of following after Christ, or does that mean a family just given to like some sort of religiosity? And even if they did grow up in a family devoted to Jesus Christ, what has this person, uh, have they believed in Jesus Christ themselves? Because they've, not inherit, they've inherited a lot of the, the benefits, the fruit of growing up in a Christian home, but has faith taken root in their heart? And I get this one, right? You go through the teenage years, you go to church, you look at other families going to church, okay, okay, you're in church and you're cute, okay? That doesn't cut it. Get to where their heart relationship with Jesus is at. And then the third one. They come to church with me all the time. This one's usually uh, spoken by our missionary daters, right? Like, I just believe God put me in his life to, like, get him to church and, like, He's going to get saved through me. Jesus saves, and Jesus doesn't need you to date him in order to save him. But he, pastor, he's coming to church. Don't you want him at church? Is he coming to church in pursuit of the holiness of Christ, or is he coming to church in pursuit of the hotness of you? Like, just, we just got to ask the questions. You're like, did my dad pay you to say? <laughs> you all have no idea how much money I'm making on the side for this sermon. <laughs> and if you're right now like, whatever, whatever. You don't get it. Like, I know, yeah, that's probably what the Bible says. You don't get it, though. We just connect. We'll disconnect. You want me to break up with her? You want me to break up with them? Yes. R really? Yes. What am I going to say? Say, blame it on me. Hey, my preacher got up there today. He's shown me what God says on this. This ain't going to work anymore. And I know there's a lot more emotion involved than I'm making it out. But the question just flat out, if you're here and you're dating someone who's not a, in Christ and you know Jesus Christ, like, are you going to have a high enough view to trust the Lord that he will bring the right guy, the right girl in the right time who deeply loves Jesus Christ? Or do you want to be married so bad you'll get it so bad? God, has, God is completely sovereign. When he wants to, if he wants to, he can bring in your path the most godly girl, the most godly guy, and he'll say, boom, shakalaka, right there. <laughs> Will you trust him enough to wait for that? God has called men of God to unite their life with women of God, those in Christ to unite their life, life together in a covenant relationship. We'll talk in a moment about why that's important. But real quick, I recognize in the midst of all that, there's some in the room here today who you find yourself already in a marriage covenant and you are, have covenanted your life together with someone who's not a believer. And I just wanted some encouragement to you this morning if you find yourself as a believing wife married to an unbelieving husband or an un, uh, a believing husband married to an unbelieving wife. Uh, wives, 1 Peter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. I want to encourage you, 
Jesus-following wife, go home and be the fragrance of Christ to your unbelieving husband. And just do not, do not grow weary in persisting in prayer for the salvation of your husband. One of the sweetest ladies, Erica and I know, Judy, for 40 years prayed for the salvation of her husband. 40 years. She did not tire of getting on her knees and praying for the salvation of her husband. And God saved the man. Do not grow weary in your good doing. And I want you to know, women of this church, step up and get around them and hold their arms up. And you just keep encouraging them to not grow weary in that. Amen, ladies? Men, if you're in here and you're married to an unbelieving wife, uh, Ephesians 5 calls you to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, uh, Husband in Christ, married to a wife who doesn't know Jesus, go home and just serve with your life. Just serve that woman. Serve her with your life. Love her like Christ. Be the fragrance of Christ to her. Get on your knees and pray for God to break that hard heart every day inside of her and call her to himself. But until then, you go love her like Jesus would love you and don't grow weary in your good doing of that. And men of this church, you surround them and you hold up their arms as they pursue that. Amen, men? That's what we're after. So God starts with this topic on marriage of their unfaithfulness to marry outside the covenant people. But then very clearly, verse 13, he tells us he's got a second thing on this marriage topic that he's got to say to them. Uh, Verse 13, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Okay, get this now. Get this. You're com- the people, they're coming to the altar for worship. They're bringing their offerings. They're bringing their sacrifices. And, and Malachi's like, and you show up t- for worship, and you're, you're like covering the tears with, uh, you're covering the altar with your tears, and you're like, but Lord, here we are. We're here to worship, and look, we're bringing sacrifices, and why is, you, why is the presence your favor? Why is it not on us? Why will you not hear? Why will you not uh, acknowledge our sacrifices? What's going on, Lord? And the Lord is about to tell them, Why? Middle of verse 14. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let, not, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Three, three teaching points from those verses right there. The, the first one is this. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship in your marriage 
has deep spiritual ramifications. Think about what God has just said here. They're going, why won't, why won't you accept our sacrifice, Lord? Why, don't, why is our worship not acceptable to you? And he tells them very clearly, because uh, this, like, I was witness to your marriage, and you guys aren't honoring that. In fact, look at what the New Testament says in 1 Peter 3. And husbands, we need to listen up to this here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now get how this ends. So that your prayers may not be hindered. How I live with Erica has an impact on my prayer life with God. How I live with her in an understanding way and love her has the direct relationship to my communication with God. Our merit, like we cannot see. It is impossible for us to say like, oh, I have a really healthy, thriving walk with the Lord and a really unhealthy marriage. That's impossible. Or it's impossible to go like, man, we just had like marriage. Yeah, we're thriving. And it's, it's interconnected. The vertical affecting the horizontal, the horizontal affecting the vertical. And we just got to know that. We can't compartmentalize these relationships. Second teaching point from these verses we read right here. Uh, God is the ultimate witness of your wedding vows. And God is the one who miraculously makes us one flesh. So remember, when we said, for better or for worse, not only were there people sitting out in the seats there, the presence of God was there. Do you know a wedding is a worship service? Y'all know that? Next time you go to a wedding, you bring your worship on, okay? Because it's a worship service. Think about what's happening in your midst there. The presence of God overseeing the vows and the miracle of God to take two lives and make them one flesh. God's people should be worshiping at weddings. Not like, is this thing done yet? It's time to eat. And are they going to do pictures after the ceremony? Like, we, we come ready to worship for what God is doing there. And we have to remember, go back to your wedding day, married folks. Those vows, God bore witness to those vows. And he worked a miracle of one fleshness between you and your spouse. And then this third point, and um, let me... How many of you have a translation where verse 16 starts with just this direct statement? It just says, God hates divorce. Put your hands up if you have a translation. That third point of the, is God hates divorce. And now let's talk about why God hates divorce. God hates divorce because marriage, marriage is so much bigger than just like us finding a best friend and having a really fun life together. Now, don't get me, I'll get back to that. Because you're like, don't, that, that sounds fun. I kind of want that. I'll get back to that. But that's not the center of the bullseye of the marriage target. Do you know what the center of the bullseye of the marriage target is? God has such a high purpose for marriage that marriage is actually the institution he chose to display to the world the love that he has for his bride, the church. No, hold on. Let that sink in. Like, let that get in our heart. Marriage is the relationship he chose to say, world, watch this. Watch how my people do marriage. 
if a husband will do what I've called a husband to do, he'll model the love that I have for the church. And if the wife will do what I've called the wife to do, she'll model the love that the church has for Christ. And it's this awesome picture to a whole watching world. And if we will pursue that as the center of the bullseye of the target of marriage, we will get life, fun life with our best friend forever in hot pursuit of that purpose. But we can't, we can't deviate from what the center of that bullseye is. It is God's glory through a husband and wife seeking to display the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And it's sweet. It's sweet. It's why we can't just settle for like, yeah, it's okay. And, you know, it is what it is. It is so much higher than that. And God hates divorce because when the followers of his enter into a divorce, it shatters that picture. It distorts, it pixelates the picture. It makes it fuzzy. God hates divorce because of what it does to the heart of one walking through the divorce. God hates divorce because of what it does to the family. And God hates divorce because of the ripple effects that it has on an entire faith community. And I want to say as lovingly and as shepherdly as I can, I recognize those are strong words and indictments of against divorce, the sin of divorce. But I know some of you sit in here as people who've walked through divorce. Some of you, because a spouse has just left and abandoned and is no longer willing to keep the marriage covenant. Some of you, have, uh, because of the unfaithfulness of a spouse. Others of us, we had, we had a hand in the divorce, and we sinned, and you've repented of that. Some of us in here, we had a hand in the divorce, and we've not repented, and we need to repent today. But I want you to hear again what I said at the outset, that God vehemently hates divorce and passionately loves people who've walked through divorce in a way that only our God can do. Now I want to come out of those teachings from those couple verses there, and I want you to see there's one statement that's repeated twice, and we have to see this one statement that's repeated twice because this is the application, straight up, right here from the Word, this is the application we need to walk away with to protect the marriage covenant. Look, if you would, back at verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. You ready for the application? So guard yourselves in your spirit. And let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Look down at how verse 16 ends again. So guard yourselves in your spirit. And do not be faithless. Once we have entered the marriage covenant... We have to guard ourselves in our spirit to protect the marriage covenant. So how do we live this out? How do we guard ourselves and our marriage covenant? A few quick points on that, and we'll be done here. Uh, The first way is this. Pursue a vibrant, thriving, personal walk with Jesus. The first thing Erica and I try to do with every premarital counseling we do is we look the couple in the eye and we say what do you think is the greatest contributor to a healthy marriage and often the the answer will be something about 
you know, their relationship or something involving like how they communicate. And we're like, no, the greatest contributor to a healthy marriage is your heart being red hot on fire for Jesus Christ and your heart being red hot on fire for Jesus Christ and bringing those two hearts together to be red hot on fire for Jesus Christ. You can't not, like, like husbands, wives, understand that if your heart isn't fully alive to Jesus Christ, that can't not impact your marriage. It is the greatest thing you contribute of guarding yourself and guarding your marriage, a heart fully alive to Jesus. Secondly is this, pursue each other with intentional quantity time. Quantity is intentional there. I'm just of the camp that believes you can't have quality time unless you have quantity time. We have to do life together. And there's too many marriages where they're like, well, that, that works for us. She goes her way and I go my way. It won't work for long. You have to do life together. Both services was like really quiet at that point. You're like, oh, uh. You have to do life together. God has called you to the joy of doing life together. Husbands, your, life, your, lo- your wife loved a junk and antique. You better become a junker and antiquer. <laughs> Wives, your husband don't, doesn't miss a Pacers game. You sit right down on that couch. You lean forward and go, say this, say this. Ready, wives? Man, the, the way defenses, the, the way they, the defense spaces since Victor Oladipo has gone down is just so different. Just say that. And he'll look over at you and go, I've never loved you so much. <laughs> like, if we will outdo each other and, like, let's do what you want to do. Let's do what you want to do. It'll be a beautiful thing. Do life together. It's awesome. Do not. It is a, it is a lie of the enemy to get you to believe that, like, I'll just go do my thing, you go do your thing, and we'll just be roommates. God has something so much better than that. You know what the highlight of my year is? Seriously. The highlight of 2019 has been a Friday night date night with Erica where we got to stay out past our kids' bedtime. <laughs> the babysitter put them to bed, and we had no curfew. And we were driving down 37 in our minivan, high school songs we loved blaring, just singing them at the top of our lungs. Minivan life? <laughs> I, I can't, um, being married to that woman right there is the highlight of my life next to knowing Jesus Christ. And singing in the minivan is the great, that, like, I could not ask for a better night than do life together. clear on that one? Last one. Pursue wisdom in interacting with the opposite sex and avoiding compromising situations. Did you know no one ever planned to have an affair? Where you're like, I can think of some. It was pretty well planned. No, they didn't, like, they didn't set out. They, they came to a place where they started to plan it, but no one ever planned to. Avoid just unwise. Is your marriage in a tough place? I can tell you, thus saith the Lord, a member of the opposite sex is not who you confide in. I can say that with every ounce of the bone in my body. In our day and age, this, this wisdom principle here doesn't only apply to face-to-face interactions. We live in a media age 
We live on, we almost do almost more of life through technology. Are you pursuing wisdom in how you handle technology? This one isn't a thus say the Lord. This is just a, here's thoughts of your pastor. Can we just be done in marriages with like I have a passcode on my phone and my wife doesn't know it? Or she has a passcode on her phone and as I'm just telling you, that is, that's playing with fire. You're one flesh. What's yours is hers. What's hers is yours. I can't believe you. You know what she did? She looked through my phone. If you ain't got nothing to hide, who cares? Hand her your phone. Let her look through it all she wants. I'm speaking out of the counseling room right now, okay? We have to use wisdom in how we interact with the opposite sex, face-to-face, in live in person, and through technology. You ready for that last point? Then i got to be done. God's design for marriage is this, for a husband and wife to enjoy a worshipful, loving, committed, relational faithfulness until death parts them. Let's finish the race faithful to the covenant. I'll never forget. I'll never, I said I'd be done. I can't. Hold on. One more couple. Um, never forget a couple years into marriage, we're reading with a, a group of young married couples, John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage. We come to a line in the book and it says, uh, and John Piper, and the only way John, and the way John Piper says it, he says, what do you do one day if your spouse walks in the door and she looks you in the eyes and she says, I don't love you anymore. He said, you want to know what you do? You keep the covenant. God, give us, give us a commitment to the marriage covenant like that. Amen? Why? Because God's design for marriage, and this is intentionally wordy, is for a man and woman of God to covenant together and be made one flesh by God for the purpose of glorifying God by displaying through their marriage the covenant, faithful, steadfast love that exists between Christ and his bride, the church. That is the worshipful living out of marriage that God has called us to. And so if your marriage is hanging on by a fraying thread, today that changes in the power of Jesus' name. Let's get some help. And oh, by the way, every marriage comes to a crossroads where it needs help. And every married couple said, no, every married couple said, we do. We all need help. Here's help. This email tonight. Soulcare at harvestindysouth.org. Do you know the church is here to walk with you through that? In your pride, do not walk out of here and think, we got this, we can do it, babe, right? Babe, we can do this, right? Yes, you can with help. Don't let your pride lie to you and say that you can't have help. Uh, another, I, don't, I didn't plan for this one. This came out in the prayer of first service. I'm just going to say it to you directly in second service. Um, if there's unfaithfulness in a marriage in the room right now, the enemy is going to scream a lie to you. Don't, don't let it come out. Don't let it come out. As soon as you let it come out, your world is going to fall apart. Don't let it come out. Don't let it come out. Do you know what David said about his sin with Bathsheba? Man, when, he's like, when that thing was inside of me, it's just like my bones were rotting away. There's freedom in the confession of sin. 
hear me as your pastor, yeah, life is gonna get a little bit hard after the confession comes out. We love you and we'll walk with you in the trenches of the hardship. Confess sin. And then for just the marriages across the room, do not let the enemy lie and say, okay is, okay is just okay, right? Like, we're pretty good, aren't we? Husbands, step up. Put the kids to bed tonight. Get on the couch. Look at each hand to hand, eye to eye, and say, where do you think our marriage is at? And you might be going, I think it's an eight. And your spouse is going, it's a two. I'm dying over here. There's so much at stake that we depict and display the relationship between Christ and his church. And let's do whatever it takes to work so that five years, ten years from now, we'll look back and we'll go, I love my marriage. And it's possible. It's possible. It's not only possible. That's the way God designed it to be. Church, stand to your feet. Last thing, and I'm going to pray. Uh, I Keep your eyes open. You'll find people who, like, you just start to watch their marriage, and you're like, wow. I have a lot of respect for that. You go up. You tell them, can we take you to dinner? Can we just pick your brain? And you show up with a notepad, and you go, what do you, what do, you do? What are the things that you do? And you just learn from them. Give your life to Jesus Christ and then give your energies within marriage to the glory of Jesus Christ and don't settle for anything less. Lord Jesus, all over this room, revivals in our marriages, God, please. Lord, I want to just pray encouragement for those who they just, they, they just feel worn out right now. They feel like they've, they've some, some people are saying, like, I, I know, yeah, I agree with everything that guy said, but I'm just spent. We've tried. It's hopeless. There is no such hopeless word in your vocabulary, Lord. Please, infuse hope, God. Infuse hope. God, for the person who's here, and they're sitting in church, and they have a spouse who's wants to walk out on the marriage and they're not even in this place with them right now, God, would you please, would by the power of your Holy Spirit, you work in that other spouse's heart and would you allow them, Lord, to invest in their marriage and to see you redeem it out of the ashes, God. God, where repentance needs to take place, God, would you humble us to repent? God, where we need to be more wise in protecting the marriage covenant, Lord, give us wisdom. And God, I just pray for marriages that are just flourishing right now. God, they're just flourishing. They're going, I love what everything you said, but our marriage is in the best place it's ever been. God, would you keep their eyes fixed firmly on you, Jesus, and just keep running in that direction and bringing all kinds of marriages with them. God, this is so near and dear to your heart, Lord. Would we as your people display to the world this awesome picture you've given us to display, God? Would we be faithful to that end? God, please, by the power of your spirit, do it for your glory in Jesus' precious and powerful name.